Hey, Jordan. How's it going? What's uh, up? Well, I don't know. What's up with you? Uh, Jinx. Just hanging out. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Remember that? Remember yeah. That? Has anyone ever fulfilled that obligation, that contractual <laughs> I'm obligation? Not, I'm not sure. I know I've jinxed a lot of people over the years, and I've never received a Coke. Yeah. That Sorry. I know of. Yeah. A lot of fake friends around here. They don't I think that's it. That sounds like etiquette. bad, bad, bad etiquette, bad manners, bad yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, there's just no other way of, of getting around it. Um, okay, well, listen, Jordan has a great interview coming up with our friend Ravana, which I unfortunately was not able to get to because of a, a weird family parenting situation that I had to deal with tonight that was very stressful. We don't need to get into the details of that, but uh, I'm looking forward to listening to it. How was that? Really good. Ravana's great. We talked about the New Hampshire primary results, the attempts that the RNC is making to just hand the nomination over to Trump already. Uh, we talked about the standoff at the border, talked about a funny column in The Economist about why you should never retire and, and a whole lot more. It was really great. It was a really great conversation. <laughs> yeah. The economy's going great, but you're getting a, you're getting articles like that, uh, yeah, popping up. I got so listen. I know you already talked about this with Ravana. I don't want you to spoil any any of the conversation that you had though. But like, what what is this standoff at the border? Is is America about to blow up? Is it about is America about to implode? <laughs> is there a civil I mean, neither, war that's about to kick off here? What's what's happening here? <laughs> neither of us think that's going to be the outcome. Uh, maybe we're too optimistic. You never know if some trigger-happy National Guardsman sent from, like, one of the Dakotas uh, just starts firing. But that would be bad. We don't want that. But Ravana explained the the conflict, how we got to this point, like, why nearly a dozen or more states are sending National Guardsmen to the border to protect this razor wire, which the intent is to maim, harm, potentially kill immigrants who are trying to come here. Um, it's just, it, it's bad. Texas is basically just defying a Supreme Court ruling and a dozen or so states are going along with it. And like, it's amazing too, there's been this decades long project on the part of these like conservative groups to install this like extremely reactionary conservative Supreme Court and you know which has handed down a number of like rulings beneficial to the conservative movement and then it's really incredible that like the one time something doesn't go their way they immediately you know act as if they're being it's some like part of some persecution they're being persecuted by the the federal government of the United States and over over razor wire, like I think that's that to me that's fucking me up. Like we've talked about how Biden's immigration policy is not like he's not some open borders liberal. Um, he's right. continued most of Trump's and Stephen Miller's draconian immigration policies, despite what the right says about that. And they're literally like having this like standoff, constitutional crisis, whatever you want to call it over the fact that they they want the ability to in Texas independently install razor wire to maim immigrants trying mm-hmm. to come to the United States like it's just I don't know I I mean the the bar is on the floor for 
the United States government in general and the conservative movement in particular, but like this, this is particularly depraved this entire, this entire thing. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a story that we talk about for a bit as it continues to develop. I mean, I hope it doesn't develop any further. They're just purely in defiance of a Supreme court (laughs) ruling. They can't do this. Texas does not control the border. They are not, a sovereign <laughs> nation. Uh, the federal government very clearly controls the southern border. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, Rivana also pointed out that the authority to deploy National Guardsmen by all of these other governors is questionable and prob- it probably isn't there. So uh, this is going to be a very interesting next 48, 72 hours, however long this this lasts, but it's it's not great. But again, neither of us think this is going to spiral into a civil war, but it's definitely going to be very bizarre. It is very bizarre. Give it like 10 years and these people are going to be like initiating these kind of standoffs over their their need to put immigrants into like running man style death trap game show content or like squid games type stuff. I don't know. It's like, man, it's these right. people are sickos. Absolute sickos. I mean, again, it's like it's looking at the Biden administration immigration policy and being like, no, this isn't cruel enough for me. We need to really like we this is nowhere near cruel enough. We need to make this hurt more people, maim people. You know, we're being too nice. We're being too nice to the the migrants and, and refugees trying to come to this country, fleeing, as we often point out, destabilization directly created by U.S. government policies in Central and South America. I don't know. These people are just fucking wild. In other news, before we get to the conversation with Rivana, I did see that, like, you know, I've heard a lot of talk over the last week or two about the frantic efforts behind the scenes. All these, all these, uh, you know, these purity testing leftists who are against genocide don't realize Biden frantically behind the scenes has been having tough conversations mm-hmm. with Israel to try and, uh, you know, to try and get them to knock it off with their whole uh, genocide there. And then I saw today reporting that Israel and the U.S. signed a new military package deal that includes 25 F-35s, 25 F-15s, at least 12 Apache attack helicopters and supply thousands of munitions. So that's really the best way to try and incentivize someone to not carry out mass murder or bombing attacks is sending them fresh supply of more planes and bombs and helicopters, which they can use to do just that, but very sternly and having very tough conversations at the same time. That's yeah. The Biden, we, we talked Biden about diplomacy. Right. We talked about this. Uh, I talked about this as well with Ravana and just the consequences as we, we get closer and closer to, general election you see these concerns among your base growing and while you couple these arms deals weapons packages to israel with well we're establishing a channel to communicate with israel about their what they're doing on the battlefield or we're deeply concerned and we're troubled just like doesn't seem like they really are taking seriously how upset a vast majority of of Democrats are in this moment, and it's it could risk suppressing turnout sometimes in in key swing states that they might have a really razor thin margin against Trump 
in and they could just be blowing this whole thing because of Biden's loyalty to Israel. Yeah. And anyway, I don't want to step on the conversation that you had with Rivana, which I'm sure is fantastic. Uh, I just had to get my stuff in there too, you know, so um, <laughs> you know how it goes. But uh, folks, if you enjoy the podcast, if you can, please subscribe. We really appreciate everyone that's able to support this show. It's the only way that we can keep doing this show each and every week. Um, Jordan and I had a, had a really great conversation a couple days ago in the previous bonus episode. We talked about the Stanley Cup craze a little bit about DeSantis making fun of him it was it was heavy on the sports chat but it was it was a really good one I really enjoyed it we've had so many great bonus episodes uh with such fantastic guests so if you want to support this show and get access to that back catalog of uh bonus episodes please do you can do so at insurgentspod.com and we thank everyone so much for supporting the show we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Uh, so want to get over to the conversation with Ravana now? Absolutely. Let's do it. Good. So Ravana is going to be joining the show right after this. I'm joined by Ravana, political commentator. Many of you may already be familiar with Ravana. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to discussing a wide array of uh, <laughs> uh, of topics today. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So we we ask our guests. Uh, a tough, hard-hitting opening question, just so we know who we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've asked just about everybody. And now it's your turn. Okay. Ravana, are you a gamer? Um, I play FIFA. I play FIFA every day. So I, yes, I am a gamer. Every day. I, I yeah, you gotta you gotta get your your daily rewards in. So you gotta play every day. Um, <laughs> huge soccer fan. Really love FIFA. I'm not good at. Uh, like you know typical like first person shooter types of games but i think that i think that counts yeah that counts so yeah i'm a, I'm a gamer absolutely I, I sports games definitely count who okay so if you're playing fifa mm-hmm. uh, do you have like a team or do you do like the career mode do you have you created yourself and are you building up your legacy how do you how do you play fifa so usually during the actual season, I'll focus, I'll grind out my ultimate team because while the players are actually, you know, competing in real life, you get rewards based on their performances if you use their cards in game. But once we're in the summer, the off season, that's when I really grind out career mode and I do make the manager look exactly like me. Sometimes I try <laughs> to make the player look like me, but they've never before allowed you to play as a woman. So I would just have to mess with the settings until my character just looked feminine enough that <laughs> she could pass off as me. <laughs> but yeah, that's, okay. I, I do both for sure. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you have a team that you usually play as? Um. So... I see. Is that a Man U banner behind you? 
It is. A I scarf. do have my my Man United scarf. Um, I'm a I'm a Man United supporter. I would not play as them in game if that was if I was given the option. <laughs> they are not yeah. uh, having a great season. Um, typically, you know, it just depends on like who I'm playing. If I'm messing around with my little cousin, I'll let them play as like, you know, Real Madrid, and I'll play as some like second division. <laughs> I don't know, Swiss team or something, but, um, but yeah, typically Chelsea's women's team is if I'm going to play in uh, regular mode, that's what I would pick. I was a Man U fan in the early 2000s. Mm, good time to be one. <laughs> it's, it was when I first got introduced to like international leagues. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, I was just you know, didn't really have a network or that was, it wasn't really broadcast also no, in the U S yeah. we had some, I can't remember what channel we ended up getting in a cable package, but it had select games on Saturdays. And at that time, my God, the, the Manchester United roster right. was, was absurd. Like Stop. Gary Neville, um, uh rio ferdinand uh i think tim howard was also on the team at the time so he had like american yeah. representation which was fascinating rude van <laughs> nistelroy cristiano ronaldo like very right. young cristiano ronaldo wayne rooney uh, yeah 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 beckham i think might have still been there he might have left for real madrid mm-hmm. um but yeah it was just a really exciting time uh, for the epl and for that team yeah, that would have been the best time to start supporting them. I started supporting them at the literal worst time after they had not been successful in any endeavor for multiple years. So so I, you know, people, whenever I'd say I'm a Man United supporter, they say, oh, because there's this really winning history for the club. So they're kind of hated. But I'm like, no, you can't say that to me. I I didn't get on this bandwagon until they absolutely sucked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Post Ferguson years. I'm I'm a true fan because I'm still here at their lowest moment. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is it is really crazy to see how like they went from just like complete domination to kind of middle of the pack. Right. Just mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. You absolutely. know, you we were supposed to do the New Hampshire recap, and because it was over so quick the other night, you, you got your hour got cut. Yeah. So I'd like to get your thoughts. What do you make of the results in New Hampshire? Trump won. Should Haley's going to continue? Yeah. How do you see this progressing? Well, I think that <laughs> the only you know logical conclusion for anyone to draw and they should it's been the only logical conclusion for a year now is that donald trump is going to be the nominee but nikki haley uh, you know shouldn't drop out as long as the donors are putting cash into her campaign she might as well keep going there's no reason for her to drop out and you know she's going to be embarrassed in her own state and then she'll drop out but you know as long as the um you know the uh military (laughs) weapons manufacturing organizations want to keep shoveling money towards her they she might as well keep running um yeah, I think I was ex- more interested in talking uh, on that evening, obviously didn't happen, about <laughs> her bizarre uh, speech she gave that night um, and the individuals in the crowd who were like the most excited I could ever imagine a human being for be for <laughs> Nikki Haley. The 
the ad-libbing during her speeches was just phenomenal. They were screaming for this woman. They love Nikki Haley, or they were told by the campaign to make it appear as though she has a lot of support. I think that's the more likely option, but it was just so bizarre. And it was, it was interesting to see her actually like go after Trump in like a meaningful capacity for the first time as a candidate. Um, because I think at this point she's accepted, she's not going to get that VP slot. I don't know if it was promised to Ron DeSantis to sort of get him to drop out before New Hampshire, not that he had any prospects of doing well there or that his campaign had any money left, but um, yeah, my major takeaway from the night was that my cat is a Republican because when I put that speech on of Nikki Haley's, she got so excited. She was like jumping up and sniffing my phone because I was playing it out of my phone. She was like dancing around it and rubbing up against the ottoman that my phone was on. I was like, this is a betrayal. <laughs> I didn't know you were a Nikki Haley supporter. What the hell? <laughs> uh, has it been determined? I, I would I would think if Trump is like as as a candidate red, like registering or representing florida it couldn't desantis couldn't be vp but maybe he can get a, a cabinet position yeah um, yeah but i don't trump kind of has uh, dual representation sometimes he wants to claim new york sometimes he's florida so it depends on how explicitly he's running um i could could you imagine department of education secretary ron desantis Oh, Jesus Christ. I can, unfortunately, <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm sort of torn here, right? Because Ron DeSantis, I think, has screwed his career in the Republican Party mm -hmm. by choosing to run in this election. If he had just, like, bided his time and supported Trump during his campaign now, then he wouldn't have this weird tiff with Donald Trump going on. Although he did say he's not going to call him Ron DeSanctimonious anymore. But um, I mean, yeah, in a tr future Trump administration, not only could I imagine a Ron DeSantis uh, secretary of education, I could imagine a Chaya Rychik secretary of education oh, lives Jesus a TikTok in, the, <laughs> in the cabinet, which is mortifying to think about. But <laughs> I, I feel like we're we're only a few years away from just something like that. Yeah, like she's oh. in there. The the guy chris rufo has mm. some sort of position just the the most brazen shameless culture warriors right. on behalf of special interests get top posts for just singling out like trans people or the lgbtqi plus community or marginalized yeah. groups just harassing the shit out of strangers for government purposes the czar of hate crimes that will be their position <laughs> Yeah, that that is. I think we would need to dedicate like more time to this this post that lib that libs of TikTok woman is getting in Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, a friend a friend of mine, Lodane, flagged it. Uh, I haven't looked too much into it, but it just seems at its face just horrifying. This is not somebody who should be in any public position dictating what people can and can't read. Yeah. And she has no ties to Oklahoma, like no. at all. <laughs> no ties to Oklahoma. It's not like she has a, a degree in library science or anything that you could point <laughs> or education to. or right anything you could point to to pretend that she's i don't even think she you know not not everybody needs a, a college degree to you know be mm -hmm. successful but i don't think she's even college educated so 
of course, that's fantastic. In a state like Oklahoma that doesn't just have a teacher crisis but has a substitute teacher crisis, the state that had some of their school districts shut down at the beginning of the year for weeks because of her targeted harassment of specific schools in the district, people were calling in bomb threats, and the students were deprived of education for weeks in the state of Oklahoma. That is her closest tie is doing terrorism in the state, <laughs> which qualifies her to have this this library position within their Department of Education. In fucking system, uh, <laughs> on the so on the DeSantis like, potentially ruining his career point, I, I think. We, Haley is probably jeopardizing hers even more. Mm -hmm. So it was reported today that the RNC is reviewing a draft resolution that, if approved, would declare Trump the party's presumptive 2024 nominee, even as Haley wages a vigorous campaign against the frontrunner. So they're basically just they're trying to just circumvent the primary altogether and just say, nope, we're coronating Trump. He's our guy. Screw you. What do you think the consequences of that would be for the Republican base? Well, first I'll say that the Democratic Party has given a great example for the Republican Party to follow suit in. You know, I mean, coronation of Joe Biden. They're like, well, they're doing it. So so why can't we? Um, I think that one interesting thing we saw in these primaries is low turnout, um, depressed turnout. I was interested to see how New Hampshire would play out because Iowa, I was like, I don't think that this we can read too much into it as someone living in Illinois and experiencing the negative 20 degree temperature that day. I was like, no, it's totally reasonable that there would be low turnout. Um, but New Hampshire was also relatively depressed. So I don't necessarily think that um, that the base is super riled up for this primary. I think a lot of the Republican base is is already under the assumption that Trump is going to be the nominee. I don't know to what extent the party members of the party even know that there's a primary going on. <laughs> um, based on the 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 videos I've seen from these Trump rallies, I don't think that there's even a, a question in their mind as to who the nominee is going to be. Um, but I I do think it would be interesting for the future of the party because eventually Donald Trump's Going, going to die. I don't think that they'll get him out or, you know, be behind bars, but I don't think that's going to stop him. So, you know, short of death, he's going to be a part of this party, but eventually he'll be gone. And then where are they after that? What are they left with? Nothing. They've pretty much just given the keys to the car to Donald Trump and let him drive it off a cliff. And they're going to have to rebuild after that. And that's why, you know, I think that you're right about Nikki Haley's career as well, because they weren't angling for careers post Trump, which is the only thing you can do as a, a Republican politician who has ambitions to hold the highest office in the country. You have to wait it out. You have to, you know, sit on this roller coaster ride and like be nauseous about it and then wait till he's gone for you to have a turn. Um, because he's essentially already been coronated, right? The, he's 
And he, he was playing it smart by not participating in these debates. He knows that he's going to be the candidate. He knows he doesn't have to lower himself, you know, to being on stage with the likes of uh, Asa Hutchinson and Doug Burgum. <laughs> he, he already, you know, and that was the smartest decision he and his campaign could have made in that moment. Uh, and it's worked out well for him. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see how the Republican Party will recover from this. I'm not one of those people who is like, oh, we need a return to what the Republican Party of old was. I would prefer for them not to exist at all. But, you know, just thinking logistically how it's going to play out. I think they've really dug themselves an interesting hole. Yeah, I don't even know how dissimilar uh, the old Republican Party is from right. Trump. I mean, Trump's is just a lot of the same policy uh, proposals just with yeah. much less polish right and he the way he goes about things are chaotic i'm, I'm listening to uh aswin soup saying i hope i'm pronouncing his name right and lachlan markey their book about the trump years and it's not like this is how they navigated this crisis it's more like these are all the behind the scenes catastrophes that we just didn't have the opportunity to report out while he was in office. Mm -hmm. And it's just like one hilarious story after another. It just total mismanagement, total chaos, just yeah. a bunch of like fucking vipers backstabbing each other, leaking things, sometimes true, sometimes deliberately untrue to the press just to create more chaos. Like, Trump is still like cutting taxes for the rich, mm -hmm. denying climate change exists. Ultimately, despite his efforts to appear otherwise, like being anti-LGBTQIA+, like he still represents the old Republican Party. He just does it in a chaotic, un like a slovenly way. Yeah. I think that chaos, though, has had interesting ramifications for the party, one of which is the Republican electorate and what a politician has to present themselves as to get their support nowadays. And also, I mean, you know, for my entire life, the Republicans were in lockstep, essentially. They were voting in lockstep. They had their ducks in a row in Congress. And, you know, you're right, the policies has, haven't changed much. But now we're seeing this complete disarray with uh, you know, even now they're they're threatening to remove Mike Johnson as speaker after the the chaos they've had and the electoral uh, losses they've suffered because they haven't been as efficient and they haven't been, you know, as in line as they have been previously, which I think is in no small part due to, uh, you know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and that sort of wing of, you know, they're all ideologically, there's not a lot of difference, but it is that behavioral, the, the, the lack of uh, decorum, so to speak, that, that sort of separates them from someone who is, you know, like Ken Buck, who's just as conservative, just as uh, horrible of a person policy wise, but is someone who like cares a lot about the process. Um, but I think it has undermined their ability to to legislate in some respects and to successfully pass their agenda. And I think they're going to have to figure out what to do with those people in a post-Trump world. I mean, by coronating Trump, I mean, there's clearly some part of the base that likes Haley. And... Yeah. A lot of independent, I mean, her strength, and that's this is what her campaign manager said uh, on Tuesday morning, saying no matter what happens in New Hampshire, we're staying in the race. 
We're going for a strong second, but there are several other open primary states that we think we can perform well in, indicating their strategy is to pull independence. Well, if that could determine the election, if swing voters in a handful of states don't like Trump and like Haley, does them just screwing her over, not that she, I don't even if it really counts as that because it's not like she has a chance, but if her, if just saying, hey, none of this even matters, like officially, we're not even going to go through the motions. We're just going to say Trump is the nominee. Do you think that just directly sends these people to Biden? It's like, should Democrats be celebrating this move by, by the RNC? Um, you know, I think if the Democrats were actually holding a robust primary, they might be able to to celebrate this. I don't necessarily know to what extent those people, you know, I mean, it's not like Nikki Haley was ever going to be the president, right? And to to what extent those people were already probably Biden voters in the first place. So um, I, I think that maybe it will help them with some independence, but it also might just end up with those in right-leaning independents you know, not coming out on election day, feeling, you know, depressing their, their votes and the Democrats really need to, you know, instead of hoping to pick up those people, they need to be focused on motivating the left leading independents, the low propensity voters within the party also to get to the polls and, you know, even fucking, you know, reliable democratic voters who they, you know, particularly we've seen, uh, not massive levels, but we've seen stronger support for Donald Trump within um, uh, black communities and Latino communities and specifically uh, also Asian communities increase. Uh, and the Democratic Party has relied on these people as voters for a long time. Of course, also Muslim the Muslim community in Michigan specifically is one of the things that Joe Biden can specifically point to as winning him that state. And these groups are feeling not uh, hyped up to go vote for Joe Biden. So I really think what they should be focusing on is, is getting those people to the polls, you know, working on giving them something to get them out it, because relying on the, <laughs> you know, the, uh, someone like my mom called me and she was like, uh, we need to vote in the Republican primary to stop Donald Trump. We need to vote for Nikki Haley. And because my mom, she's not very involved in politics. She's not a Republican either, but she's like, you know, she thinks that by the time the Illinois primary comes around, that Nikki Haley will still be in it and that she might be able to stop Trump that way. But, you know, those people are few and far between and (laughs) not a reliable voting base for the Democratic Party. I don't think that the Republicans, if the Republicans do this, it's because they know it's not going to matter. That won't matter (laughs) at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, on your point about energizing your base, I think that's absolutely correct. And that's something that Democrats have really taken for granted, especially when you just rel- you pay lip service to issues that these groups that you m- mentioned care about. And every cycle, it's we need to do a better job actually addressing these issues and and caring for and legislating on behalf of these communities rather than just knocking on their door every two or four years. We actually need to carry through like the entire term. And they don't. Every election, like there's like this kind of shameful half-assed mea culpa. It's like, oh, you know what? We really got to do a better job. Yeah. But the one thing that really drives me nuts is when people frame it as, oh, well, the lesser of two evils thing. And well, you do you think Trump's going to care about Palestinians? It's like, no, that's not how politics works. 
you recognizing that these people almost by default would fall into your camp if you want to energize them and get them out to vote give them something to vote for and they are telling you explicitly what they want to see from you yeah and you're just like thumbing your nose at them like yeah. I, democrats have taken groups like this for granted for far too long then throw up their hands and say well we tried everything we're all out of ideas we don't know what to do they just they just want trump i guess and it's just a lazy and childish way of seeing politics and why people vote and how to get them to the polls. You're not giving them anything like your biggest campaign proposals, your biggest things that you wanted to accomplish this term. Most of them failed. You have an infrastructure bill that is framed as a bipartisan bill. It's not even something that you really are selling, doing a good right. job selling. And you have some components of Build Back Better, better, but it's buried in this in Inflation Reduction Act that a lot of people see it as too abstract to actually impact their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. And that should have been Biden's big victory, right? The Inflation Reduction Act. Well, it should have been Build Back Better, but you know they have allowed um, the party to become a party where you can have views like Joe Manchin's and also AOC's, and that's supposed to be acceptable. Um, but yeah, I mean, to use the IRA as like your campaigning point, it seems like it requires people to debate poor people <laughs> on their conditions to sell it to them. I mean, we've seen months and months of like democratic operatives uh, and, you know, um, economists who sort of do the, uh, give a lot of credit to Joe Biden and the democratic party, you know, liberal economists making this argument that the economy is significantly better from uh, the worst it was during COVID, but they have to, they have to debate, you know, and be really pedantic in order to show that, yeah, there has been some improvement, but the fact that you have to do that is indicative of the fact that it hasn't had a major impact on the lives of the people you need to vote for you. And you can't debate those people out of poverty. You can't show them a graph and that will change the fact that they can't afford their housing. It won't change the fact that they have to choose between feeding their kids and paying their rent every single month. I had an Uber driver the other day who just like during the, well, she was driving me. She was talking about how everything is so unaffordable and just started, she broke down crying. Cause she's like, my son wants all these things and I want to give them to him but I just can't afford to do it. And I don't know how to tell him. And, you know, after that conversation, I was just thinking about like, what is the, what is the democratic party doing for this woman to get her to go vote for them? Right. How have they improved her life? I mean, she sees, you can't show her a graph and be like, Oh, but look uh, year over year from the highest point <laughs> during COVID <laughs> rent has decreased. It's not back to the low rate that it was before, but it's decreased slightly. Like you're not, you can't use that. You can't tell Muslim people that Joe, uh, that Donald Trump would do genocide too on Palestine to change their minds. Like these people have, you know, things that they would like to see improve in their lives mm -hmm. and you're not giving it to them. In fact, you know, specifically as it, as it uh, pertains to Palestine, you're <laughs> licking them off saying, fuck you. I'm not, I'm going to make it worse over there. And then telling them, well, Trump, Trump would somehow be giving more support to Israel than we already are running defense for them more than we already are. I mean, that's a pretty difficult argument to make, and it's not going to work to get these people to the polls.
Yeah. Uh, just another, I saw today another round uh, uh, of supplies. A new yeah. military package deal to Israel includes 25 F 35s, uh, the, <laughs> the trillion dollar overall spend for the government, those, those fighter jets that took years to finally work properly. 25 F-15s and at least 12 Apache attack helicopters and a supply of thousands of munitions. You're making things worse. Like that is actually and actively making things worse while you announce, oh, we've established a channel to talk to Israel and review Israel's actions. And, you know, we're deeply concerned and we're troubled by these reports and just denying, uh, belittling, discrediting South Africa's claim against right. uh, Israel and the ICJ. It's just like all of these things are going out of their way, despite... Oh, and also, not to mention, the multiple vetoes at the UN Security Council to try to yeah. create a temporary pause, just to allow aid in, to retrieve hostages. I mean, that right there, I think, is like the big biggest example about how none of this is about hostages. Because mm-hmm. that's the only time that hostages have been released was during that temporary ceasefire. And that Israel and the United States have fought tooth and nail all other times to block any temporary ceasefire to allow the release for ce- for hostages shows they really don't care. It's secondary or third or maybe not even on their radar. Yeah. I mean, it just, I think it's really exemplified by the day that the New York Times put out that massive report about the use of 2000 pound bombs in Gaza. I was going to say civilian centers in Gaza, but they're all civilian centers. It is the most densely populated uh, place on earth. So it's literally all civilian centers. Um, And the State Department put out a statement condemning the use of 2000 pound bombs and encouraging um, encouraging Israel to use more targeted means of weaponry. It didn't mention the fact, though, that almost all of the 2,000-pound bombs are coming from the United States. They're almost all coming from here. So the idea that the State Department is saying, well, we don't want you to use them, but we're going to give you a fucking lot of them, is just the exact hypocrisy that the administration uh, has been putting on full display since the beginning, you know, of this genocide. And it's just such a... it is such a hypocrisy because they're also pretending, right, that that Israel's gone rogue. <laughs> they're out of there. Yeah. Is they've been leaking these statements like, oh, the Biden administration has concerns over uh, Israel not heeding the advice of the president. But we know that Joe Biden made a phone call and ended the uh, siege on Gaza in 2021 and that he could do that again now and is actively choosing not to. I mean, it's a difficult argument to make when this very president did the exact thing you're claiming he's unable to do during this term. Uh, well, (laughs) (laughs) moving on to, uh, I guess equally depressing, uh, topics. There is a, a brewing standoff at the border. Yeah. And this stems from Texas, not, getting what it saw as a productive r- result uh, from in, in the Supreme Court. They, they were arguing that they are being overrun with migrants and they have to establish uh, a secure border. So they, st- they installed razor wire at the border and the Biden administration and Border Patrol is trying to get in there, remove the wire. 
and also just guard the border. Well, Texas is not complying with the Supreme Court uh, decision. And now several states, I think nearly a, maybe even a dozen states from around the country are sending national guardsmen to Texas to help protect this razor wire and the border. Could you give us, uh, you know, a couple laws. Could you give us a, uh, a rundown of how we got to this point and really who has legal authority over the border? Well, it, it is, uh, you know, unambiguous who has the legal authority <laughs> over the border. It is the federal government, which is, uh, you know, the exact reason why, you know, even a conservative Supreme Court that we have now would come out with a ruling like this. It's it's clear it's established law. Um, the standoff is fascinating to me because when it what it boils down to is one riling up the Republican base who doesn't see migrants as human. It is a continuation of the efforts of particularly Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis um, to use human beings and human lives for, uh, you know, some to score cheap political points. You know, I live in Chicago. There's been uh, buses, lots of buses of migrants, chartered flights of migrants coming here and they're sleeping outside in tents in the winter in Chicago. It is the most inhumane thing I can imagine. And these people, you know, are treated as subhuman every step of the way. This razor wire <laughs> is the intent of it is to kill people attempting to cross the border, literally murder them children and all and the republican base has been you know so primed to not see these people as human beings that they don't and they cheer like dogs <laughs> they bark like dogs at the in excitement at the idea of babies being killed on this razor wire being murdered by uh ron DeSantis. but you know, it's an interesting, I have no idea how this is going to get resolved. Also, the authority of the states to deploy these National Guard units to Texas, I think is also on shaky legal grounds. You know, not my particular area of expertise, you know, someone who's focused on law is more in that department might be able to, to give a, you know, more concise, uh, more concise thoughts on that. But I would... <laughs> not think that they necessarily even have the ability to do that. So the whole thing is fascinating. Um, I'm sure it's not going to lead to civil war, but <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if this is why we have a second civil war in this country is because, well, you know, not dissimilar to the first, wanting to be able to treat human beings as animals or worse than that. So, you know. <laughs> it, it, you know, if we were going to have a divided country in this like in, in 2024 and if we were going to have a bunch of states stand off against the federal government of course texas is the origin point for that there's no other state it could be right. no other state would do that like it just it doesn't even matter what the issue was what the catalyst was you know it's happening in Texas. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, in a way, it's like unsurprising. It's still kind of like you see the images and you see like this map looking at all the states that are sending uh, National Guardsmen. I mean, it, it is like a dozen states. It's a real it's all who's red who states. of the biggest recipients of federal funding. <laughs> also that, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it's surprising, but it's just so unsurprising at the same time. 
just like yeah. oh i guess we're i guess we're at that point uh now it just makes me laugh at all those people who really believe that beto is going to do it oh. <laughs> that beto is gonna win <laughs> and everyone who's tried to convince us that texas no texas is a purple state you know and texas is in contention folks <laughs> so you should definitely be sending your hard-earned money to the candidates running in the reddest districts in that state Ugh. i i will say um i i hope i hope that people continue organizing in texas right. and can ultimately get to that point because i do think it's getting there. It might take a while, but I do think that for like, I mean, I, my fiance is from Texas. I've gotten to know a lot of people from Texas and I've got gotten to know a lot of people from Texas who are or were conservative. And even they're like, Oh, the Abbott sucks. Like what is happening here? Cause they're seeing the reality of like decades of conservative control over that state and how the realities are just totally at odds of what the, you know, the traditional Texan conservative freedom, liberty, leave me alone type mm -hmm. shit is there. I mean, especially on abortion. Yeah. They definitely are coming to grips with the realities of SB8 and now a post row world, but also on gun control. I've met numerous people in Texas who have just completely changed their stance on guns, which is just, I mean, you think of Texas as the gun state. Because they see how horrible it is. They see all of these mass shootings and they have to, you know, share a state and, a commu and sometimes communities with places like Uvalde where yeah. elementary school classrooms are just completely gunned down. And the governor's like, well, there's nothing we can do. We have to, yeah. you have to have guns. You have to have these weapons of war in kids' hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's true. And there's definitely, you know, I, you know, there are organizers in the state doing the fucking hardest work i can imagine like you know yeah. but i will say that even the voters in the uh area that uvalde you know where the uvalde is voted to re-elect that man and put one of the the far right candidate back in congress in that district so it's it's an uphill battle it's definitely an uphill sure. battle but, you know, you know, so it's good that, the you know, the Democratic Party is going to give up there just like they did in Florida. <laughs> that was and, the, and Ohio. Just <laughs> multiple cycles. Just, yeah, we're not going to try with Ohio. It's like that. Right. What? what? <laughs> that was a union stronghold. Right. You, Obama won it twice. And then because you don't win in 2016, you're just done. Okay. Just phoning it in. I will say their their best electoral strategy moving forward in 2024 is to get abortion on the ballot in as many states as possible. That is going to help them tremendously, particularly in the swing states, because everywhere we've seen abortion be put up uh, on the ballot for the people to vote for, they have in massive numbers came out to support and protect abortion rights. Are they going to follow through with that plan? I would expect not, because whatever is the right strategy, uh, the Democratic Party could be expected to do the exact opposite. I think that's that's a safe assumption. Um, one other story before we get to the, the the column that I shared with you and would love your thoughts on. Marianne Williamson apparently dropped out tonight on a Zoom call with organizers, oh. where organizers tried to convince her to stay in, despite her saying that her campaign does not have money to even run a campaign in Nevada. Yeah. So our orb queen is 
likely dropping out unless somehow these organizers and volunteers just suddenly whip up like millions of dollars to run this campaign. Yeah. Any any thoughts about the Marion Williamson campaign? You know what? Um, I've never liked her. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I'm sure she's a really nice woman. I've never I've I've never thought that she was anything particularly uh, uh, special or exciting as a candidate. Um, orbs are the orb queen is funny, right? That's a that's a, a joke. But yeah, I mean, I didn't even know she was still running. So this. <laughs> this is how I found out she was still uh, in the race. I think people really underestimate how expensive it is to run a campaign, how much money you need to be able to push yourself through. I mean, God, the fact that she even was there, even there was a somewhat of a primary in New Hampshire that she made it there is kind of crazy. So good for her. Um, maybe it's time to go get a job. I don't know. <laughs> was she yeah. writing books before this is just go back to doing that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Go back to kind of just doing the lifestyle influencing. I think she was, oh, like she was Oprah's spiritual advisor or something like that. Oh, like I'm sure you unemployed. have. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you. She could find somebody out there who would pay her just to provide like life guidance. Right. Absolutely. And and that's got to be more comfortable than running for office repeatedly. So you know what though? I think that it is. Uh, to the extent that she was running to protest the fact that the democratic party is coronating Joe Biden credit to her credit to Dean Phillips, uh, credit, credit to Jake <laughs> don't care. Still voting for Jake. Um, but you know, it's at, at this point they've, they've declared that they are not going to participate in a robust primary process. They do not care. Um, and unfortunately there hasn't been enough pushback from the, you know, members of the party, elected officials in the party, uh, voters in the party that they're not going to be swayed on that. And it, it sucks. It does. It fucking sucks. It's a subversion of democracy, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> so, I mean, shout out to her for at least trying to raise awareness of that issue. Um, but yeah, it's time to go back to scamming rich people uh, and, and telling them that the their Venus is in retrospect and <laughs> things are going to work out for them. Uh, I, I, I do want to push on that a, a bit, though. When you say don't care, still voting for Jank, is that your <laughs> is that your preference? <laughs> Are you? I mean, I'm, by the time it comes to Illinois, it's not even going to, there's not going to be <laughs> a primary. Yeah. It's not going to be an issue. I mean, you know, I think that he has a legitimate claim to that he should be allowed to run for president. 100%. There is no justification that, well, the, you know, uh, that equal protections were granted to people who were not born here, that that somehow would not apply to the office of the presidency is completely bullshit. And that yeah. is. Yep. Uh, you know, completely just uh, a justified argument, one that should be heard. And I think one that should play out in the court system and, you know, hopefully be litigated. I'm sure it won't be litigated in a way favorable to Jenk, but it should, it should happen. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I like Jenk. I like Jake a lot. He's a great guy. I don't know if I want him to be the president. Uh, I don't <laughs> think he would be worse than Joe Biden though. So, you know what? <laughs> I no, I I I think 
I think I think that's safe. I think <laughs> I think I, think Cenk, I de- definitely have, have some based on things that he's talked about and positions he would take. I definitely think there are differences between how yeah. I see the world and how he does. But having known him for several years now and having worked with him and just seeing how he operates, just I I think overall he has good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um and definitely agree. I think he would be better than Biden. That said, I think I'm just I think I'm Cornell West this 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 primary. Yeah. Yeah. He's just and fair like, enough. He's cool. <laughs> he's a cool guy. I like he's him. Great. In well California, qualified. it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Biden's winning the state by like millions of votes. So I'm just like, I'm having fun with it. Right. Yeah. I will not be voting for Joe Biden in the general election. I live in the state of Illinois um, and there's no point. There's no fucking point. No matter who I vote for, I'm voting for Joe Biden. So I might as well vote for somebody that I actually like and that I think would be a good president. And I can't in good conscience vote for someone who is carrying out a genocide. (laughs) This is one example of many things he's done, but that is absolutely like you know, I'll be told for sure that I'm, uh, you know, a party bedwetter or whatever that I'm, uh, <laughs> that I'm causing Joe Biden the election by not voting for him in the state of Illinois. But you know, whatever, <laughs> we'll, t- we'll take that. They're going to say that about us anyway. So, <laughs> um, well, we will see how <laughs> this very close Democratic primary shakes out and how right. the landscape the landscape gets upended with with Marianne Williamson's departure. All things point <laughs> toward Team Phillips. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jen gets a groundswell of support. <laughs> no, do you, I, I, do you think you're right though? On the on the the naturalized citizen thing, like what are we doing? No, like, it's ridiculous. That is like so fucking xenophobic. It's so antiquated. Like, get with the fucking times. We should absolutely allow people who are naturalized citizens to do right. anything else that people who were born here. Like, what, what fucking world are we living in? That's ridiculous. It is an absurd notion that politicians are going to have some, you know, special allegiance to these countries that they were born in. That's unacceptable. But, but those same politicians can take tons, millions of dollars in <laughs> in donations from special interest groups that represent the interests of those foreign nations. That's acceptable. But God forbid you were born outside the United States before you became a citizen. Yeah. It, 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 by with this current application of the law, you're saying inherently people who weren't born here can't fully be trusted. Yes. But just because you're born here, it doesn't matter. You have better morals. And like the Trump administration is a perfect example of why that isn't true. Right. Like I would think a Jayapal president like presidency would not have the same ethical issues as, as Trump just because she wasn't born here. Like this, she would be someone I could see if we opened this up to everybody as we should. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that, that could, that's a campaign I would consider. 100%. But, but yeah, it's we, just uh, ridiculous. <laughs> we're not going to apply the 14th Amendment equally <laughs> as it pertains specifically to that. Only to one thing, too. Like one everything thing. else. Yeah. It's so <laughs> stupid. Oh, okay. Well, Ravana, have you ever thought about what you're going to do when, when you retire? Oh, you know what? As someone born in Gen Z, it has been, I've been told my entire life it's never going to happen or that I will be really old when I'm able to retire, 80s uh, or upwards. My only 
plan for retirement is that the one thing Jared Kushner offhandedly mentioned in an interview that's been living in the back of my mind for years now, if what he said comes true, because what he said was, uh, I am the last generation that's going to die. And I think about that all the time. So if we find a way to uh, sustain a person's life for eternity, then I might get a shot at retirement. So fingers crossed that Jared Kushner's bizarre, ominous statement becomes fact. But otherwise, I'm going to work till I die. (laughs) I'm just going to look up his age real quick to see 43. I think that's Gen X. We'll count it as Gen X. Oh, millennial. Okay, he was born in 81. Mm. Millennials start in 81. Well, I don't know if I'm going to die or not, so yeah. I, I should prepare for either <laughs> outcome. And it's good. It's a good thing that our friends over at The Economist have a column out. Mm-hmm. Why you should never retire. Pleasure awesome. cruises, golf, and tracing the family tree are not that fulfilling. Just to read a, a little bit from this from this piece. In an episode of The Sopranos, this is how it starts. In an episode of The Sopranos, a popular television series which air was which started airing in the 1990s. Jesus Christ. Doesn't, that, sorry, doesn't st- that read like she typed into the AI? Like that is not yeah. First of all, The Sopranos is ubiquitous. You don't need to explain what The Sopranos is. <laughs> and saying that it's a popular television show from the 90s, I think does no... It's nothing in the it's way common knowledge at this point. Sopranos. Like, I've never watched it, and I know so much about it. Right. Just from it being a huge cultural force. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> in The Sopranos, a gangster tells Tony from the titular family... As if you also didn't know that. Right. It's useless. Useless <laughs> That he wants to retire. What are you, a hockey player? Tony snaps back. Non-fictional non-criminals who are considering an end to their work lives need not worry about broken fingers or other bodily harm, but they must still contend with other potentially painful losses of income, purpose, or most poignantly, relevance. Some ah, simply yes. won't quit. <laughs> yeah, relevance is what we're all part of my life. It's not my income, uh, my ability to sustain myself, but my relevance. And I think this this is like foreshadowing what their argument really is. It's just the examples that they use in this piece are just total outliers that they then try to apply to a universal experience, right. which is absurd. Some simply won't quit. Giorgio Armani refuses to relinquish his role as chief executive of his fashion house at the age of 89. Being Italy's second richest man has not dampened his work ethic. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's sidekick at Berkshire Hathaway, worked for the investment powerhouse until he died late last year at the age of 99. Mr. Buffett himself is going strong at 93. So you're talking about a handful of the richest people on the planet as examples of why you, the working person, the actual working person, should never stop working. Right. I'm going to tell my 80-year-old grandma that she needs to go back to the holiday and that she worked at her entire life and uh, start working again, get off her lazy ass. Because grandma, Warren Buffett is still going into the office (laughs) twice a week when he feels like it. He's working hard. You're being lazy. (laughs) Yeah. Grandma, your relevance is 
completely. I just did a Google search for you. I got zero results in the news tab. What are you doing? Your relevance bar is depleted, Grandma. Okay, you need to get your ass back to work. Well, there's this throughout this piece they continue to make well they try to make the argument like look you're going to be more fulfilled if you continue working and retirement is boring work is more fun work is more challenging and exciting and sure if you are the ceo and you own armani or if you are i'm sure there are things about warren buffett's life that are exciting and interesting because they have the vast wealth that allows them to do things that the layperson never would do. They are also able to work whenever they want. I'm sure Warren Buffett spends a lot of time crunching numbers and then benefiting from the work of others and these com- from these companies that he invests in because he has so much wealth. But like looking at designs and signing off on designs that other people created is not that hard, especially when you have such a robust financial security blanket that you will never have to worry about missing a meal, really fall, like falling on your face, you know, falling through the cracks in a safety net. Like you, these people are going to be fine, and they're trying to apply these a handful of billionaire outliers who are very old and continuing to work and saying, well, look. There must be something to it. If these people are working in their 80s and 90s, you should too. And that's just for 90% of the world or more, that's not reality. Right. I think my favorite part of the piece is where she says um, that, I believe it's a woman who wrote this. She says that one uh, out of three Americans say they'll never be able to retire. And then casually in just one sentence mentions a majority of those people say they'll never be able to retire because they won't be able to afford to retire. But fuck them. They don't matter. Let's talk about the people who could afford to retire and the damage (laughs) it will have on their relevance if they step back, which I think, you know, it just goes to show how out of touch this author is uh, with the everyman, as it were. But it's like despicable. The entire article is like those of you, uh, the few of you privileged enough to have the option to retire and live out your older days in dignity. Um, should continue to be slaves to your jobs and uh, go into work, do your nine to five. And her ju- part of her justification for it is that people are living longer, which is a myth. I mean, the average lifespan in the United States has gone up over time, but that's because we have a we've lowered our infant mortality rate. It's not because people are tapping into whatever Jared Kushner was talking about in living to infinity, right? They're not living older in life. They're just not dying young. So that's, and it's the same argument that, uh, you know, people who want to roll back on social security always lean into, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. all these people are living longer. We can't sustain it, but it's, yeah, it just doesn't actually practically apply to what they're talking about well and it's also started to go down yes, in the u.s it, it partially it, de- it definitely went down during covid but it was starting to go down before then because of deaths of despair yeah people just succumbing to addiction or depression in part and maybe primarily compounded by economic insecurity their instability in life 
led them to turn to substance abuse, alcoholism, that later led to suicide or overdose or dying from alcoholism. Like, these things are all connected, and you're just glossing over this. It's like, well, people are going to live... People are going to live longer, so you should work longer. And there's this argument for continuing to work later in life. And I think there's some merit to it. And it's about the intellectual stimulation, keeping you busy. Because as some old people, some retirees will just like sit in front of the TV and kind of decay. Their mental state will decay. But many of them also won't. Like how many fucking retirees do you hear about? I'm just going to play golf every single day. That if you're into that. Good for you. That's the fucking dream. There are plenty of things that you can do in life that are even more intellectually stimulating than sitting at a fucking desk, looking at a screen, crunching numbers, filing reports, doing whatever. I that I would be the all of those things, traveling, learning a new hobby, like just trying new foods, reading more. You can do way more interesting and fulfilling and creative things that keep you intellectually stimulated to keep this depression at bay that they warn of that don't just treat you as a cog in a machine to help some fucking company or some CEO hit their bottom line. But Jordan, I think you're uh, you know underestimating the cognitive stimulation that a data entry job provides an individual. <laughs> no, I think that it's also right an indictment of <laughs> the isolation that capitalism causes in our society as well, that it impacts seniors who they, there's not activities for them to participate in and group settings that would probably be massively beneficial to preventing their cognitive decline that we don't have. One thing that I, you know, I, I've worked with senior populations extensively when I was in disability law. Um, And study after study shows that uh, programs where young people and old people uh, interact is massively beneficial to both of them, where the older person can impart some knowledge on the younger person and the younger person can, you know, provide an opportunity for the older person to have that sort of stimulation, someone to talk to. I mean, Anyone who's ever worked in like a, a capacity where you have to call people on the phone knows that if an old person picks up, they're going to keep you on the line for as long as possible because they're sad and they're lonely and they're bored and they want someone to talk to. So if you're listening to this, call your fucking grandma, call your grandpa, <laughs> have a conversation with them. But uh, yeah, I think that if we valued community more, if that was something that was promoted under capitalism, we would find it outside of our workplaces. But so many people have to rely on a workplace to have community because it's a a totally encompassing part of our lives. So uh, (laughs) she, she, she later describes what a retiree's life could look like. Mm. And she writes, you can have a packed you can have a packed diary devoid of deadlines. I think that's I don't know. You can have a packed day devoid of deadlines, meetings, and spreadsheets, and flourish as a consumer of theater matinees, art exhibitions, and badminton lessons. Hobbies are well and good for many, but for the extremely driven, they can feel pointless, even slightly embarrassing. Oh Jesus I, Christ. Give me the option between working until I die or the former theater art exhibitions and i don't i don't play badminton give me something else maybe (laughs) Uh, yeah sure i'll take that that sounds fun that sounds fulfilling and that sounds like i would actually be engaged and happy versus just working until i die to make sure i don't spiral into poverty 
Mm -hmm. spending time with the homies or figuring out <laughs> if you've used too many exclamation points in the email that you're about to send to your manager. Yeah. I'm going to take playing, <laughs> playing pickleball with my friends over that shit. I mean, it's such an absurd, like the idea that work, I don't know what this woman doesn't have a real job, right? She's writing, she's writing columns yeah. through the economist. She's, she's not, <laughs> she doesn't have a job in the same way that the rest of us do in this world, but <laughs> Uh, you know, so for her, maybe it sounds boring, but you can write articles for like The Economist you, until you die. Okay, that's <laughs> it's it's not the same type of employment that most other people uh, suffer through. It's just such a. I think though, if you present that to anyone, they're going to be like, "Yeah, I don't want to work. I want to do things that I actually enjoy that sound fun that let me, you know." find community with other people who have similar hobbies to me like no i don't want to go to do a nine to five ma'am right and she's conflating the love of the actual task which in some industries and in some careers you can absolutely enjoy that i would the broader creative field which i would include writing is way more liberating, especially as you get older and you don't have like a rigid structure of somebody who's cranking out like five to seven, just SEO keyword heavy yeah. clickbait aggregation pieces every single day. Those are those are mind numbing tasks. If you have something like this where you can pick a topic, you have the editorial editorial freedom to pick a topic and write something that you're actually passionate about in that moment. Sure, I could see you wanting to do that later in life. She, ta she talks about that. She wants to be doing this in a couple decades. But that is not the that's not the universal experience. Somebody right. doesn't necessarily somebody who like you were saying data entry or some other office job, you're not going to be wanting to navigate the new HR software that you switch every couple of years and figure out how to submit your time off request. That's not fulfilling later in life. That's just burdensome. So if you purely have something creative like this, Okay, go for it. But that also, you don't also have to be bound to it. I think the the rigid structure is what a lot of people look forward to being free from. Mm -hmm. Sure, I might do a column here or there if I'm a writer. If I might work on this project here or there in a freelance capacity. But that freedom and ability to do whatever I want, I think, is how a vast majority of people want to spend their later years. Like this whole yeah. column, the premise is just simply ludicrous. I mean, that's how people would spend their lives now if given the option, right? If we were given yeah. more freedom and you look at countries where they, you know, value that, you know, allowing people to explore their interests and hobbies and they subsidize that. Those people are happier than us. And they end up, you know, even from a capitalist perspective, they end up being more productive than people in this country. Because if, you know, every day you've got to get in your crappy car that you spent way too much money on and drive to the shitty office where you work sit in front of your fucking stupid computer surrounded by people that you hate doing a job that does nothing for you but bring you anxiety and stress <laughs> you're not going to be as productive as someone who gets to go to work and love what they're doing every single day and that's what she gets to do and god bless her but it is so divorced from the reality that ev pretty much everyone else experiences. But you know what? She does bring one more really relatable individual up as an example, and that is uh, Jerry Seinfeld, star of the 1990s television series Seinfeld, who she, she mentions is still going strong at 69. His job? Telling jokes to people, and that's it. <laughs> when he feels like it, and when he doesn't, he doesn't have to do it. So, yeah. therefore, we all need to grind until we are 
six feet under. Yeah. All you need to do, so dear listeners, (laughs) either run the most recognizable fashion house in the world. Yes. Own the largest hedge fund in the world or or one of the largest hedge funds in the world or co-create one of the most successful tv shows of all time if you do those three things yeah you better be working the rest of your life that's lots of options for you all to choose from so no excuses (laughs) get to it getting choked up thinking about my future (laughs) Ravana thank you so much for joining me where can people follow you and find more of your work yeah thanks so much for having me on this was fun Um, people can follow me on twitter at RavanaTTV they can also follow me uh, on twitch twitch.tv slash Ravana and they can see my videos for Rebel HQ uh, on YouTube and Facebook awesome thank you so much for joining me 